לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Rabbi Elliot Malamet in Highland Park, New Jersey, Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Shemit. Joining me, us, from the bowels of Solomon Schechter Day School in Long Island. Is that where you are, Barry? <laughs> Rabbi Barry Chesler is somewhere in the basement. I'm in the basement. In the basement. So uh, we'll, we'll ask people's mechila at the beginning if Barry goes in and out because your Wi-Fi is not great in the basement and somewhere in... It's your apartment, right? Fifth floor of my offices. Fifth floor. You okay. guys are down. You guys are Mima Amakim. Okay. And I'm, at, I'm actually also in my basement here. My, 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 I'm, at, my, I'm at the top. We're, we're at the pinnacle of the Torah year. We're, we're going to spend some time talking about Parsha Hazina, which is the amazing Parsha this week. And we're going to spend some time talking about Sukkot because we are a few days from Sukkot. We're, we're recording this on the day after Yom Kippur, Motzei Yom Kippur, and we still are, we made it. You know what I'd like to say? I left it all on the bima. <laughs> <laughs> I left it all on the bima. I have no voice, whatever. Hazinu. Let's take the 30,000 foot view of Hazinu and tell us, okay, so uh, Jeremy, your take on 30, the- 30,000 30, foot, Keneshir Yair Kino, Beautiful. As the the as the eagle hovers above its nest, fluttering its wings above the above the the little eaglets, uh, as as the parsha would say. So I I, th- I would propose that the book of Deuteronomy ends almost in three different ways. Yeah. At the end of Parshat Nitzavim, or Parshat Nitzavim is a resounding pep talk by Moses about how they're going to live and fulfill the covenant, choose life because it's within them and they can speak it and they can do it, and. On Simchat Torah, we're going to read the, the blessing that he gives to all the tribes, uh, each of the 12 tribes, and then the death of Moses. And that's that's a kind of also an affirmation that Moses, you know, relates how we are descended from all of those 12 tribes, from Yaakov. And and then Hazina comes in the middle, and it's a poem of tremendous bitterness and darkness. Uh, Parshat Vayelech is the sort of intro, which we read last Shabbat on Shabbat Shuvah, is the intro to this poem, and it says, God says to Moses, you got to take this poem, you got to write it down, you got to teach it to them. Uh, uh, teach them the poem, put it in their mouths, that is to say, so they can recite it, you know, uh, by heart. And it's m- miserable. You are going to fail. You are you are a dor ikeshu fatal You are a uh, you are a perverse and generation. generation. Um, you 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 perver- you. Uh, you you provoke God with non gods. Well, I'm going to get you with a non people. And there's a real you know there's a real kind of a rebuke. Moses looks at the future and says, "This is this is going to be a failure." And before the show started, we were talking about um, before we started recording. You know, we, we mentioned that there there are different modes in biblical religion. Some of them are really affirmative. This is a covenant. You are part of it. 
And part of prophetic Judaism, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and different of the other prophets, includes real rebukes about everything that you've done wrong and the consequent punishment that is inevitably to follow. And so Hazino is really part of that 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 trend in biblical religion is to say that the God of justice is going to punish betrayal and you're going to betray. And so you guys better watch out. So it's very interesting that, that the poem itself in the Torah, the Torah makes it out that the, this poem is going to play a very, very big role. But as the rabbis, I think the rabbis kind of marginalize it. They, they, it, it certainly doesn't play a liturgical role in, in, in the Siddur the same way that the song at the sea does. We do have a couple of verses that are pulled out of this uh, Zeno that become part of the litur liturgy. I, I think, you know, typically of, um, you know, Tzidukadin, the, the prayer that we say over the grave at the end of the, uh, the burial, uh, pulls uh, from from Hazino a couple of verses. Kishem Adonai uh, That's pulled from this. That's the verse that is recited just before the mincha. Uh, Barry, just want to turn to you for for a theme, if if the theme of justice, as as you you wanted to talk about here, and and that this this poem introduces or not introduces, but reinforces that theme, and just talk about that. So I think what. I like about the poem is that it mentions the idea of Hester Panim, that God's face will be hidden. I think one way that we look at the Bible is, especially the Torah, is that it's our search for God. And God is always there to be found. But here, in near the end of the song, we get this idea that God will not always be found because he will hide his face. Just and I think 20, this verse, is verse a 20. theology... Okay, it's a theology, I think, that has some resonance after the Holocaust and also during some dark periods in our people's history, but it, it's a hard theology to accept on its face. You'll forgive the pun, that God can actually hide his face from us and turn his back. You know, when we think of God turning his back, we think of Moses in the cleft of the rock and being able to get the glimpse of God's back. It's... A, it's a kind of divine access. But here, when God turns his back, he is divorcing himself from us, and in a sense, breaking perhaps temporarily, but always the fear that it's more permanent, the covenant. And it's hard to hold on to an eternal covenant when the other partner turns around and walks away. So this, I, I think you, you've touched on, I think what is the, you know, we, we I think we overuse this word trauma, but it's maybe the 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 most applicable word here, which is that nothing traumatizes uh, a person in a relationship more than abandonment, and and the threat of abandonment is is itself trauma traumatizing. That when God says "Astira panai mehem," I will turn my face from you. Er well, it's also hard to go ahead. It, you know, it's also hard to, to to kind of conceive of that. Yes, it's a that you know, if if the whole if the whole experience of the Bible is that God is with you, I, I like to you know say that that you could sum up Judaism in the you know the, the verse in Psalm twenty three, two words, and when that is threatened, you are with me, and when you are with me is threatened by I will abandon you. I mean, that's 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 what do you do with that? And that's I think I think that you're right. This is the core of this this poem, which is why it 
I think it's completely marginalized because that's not the normative experience of of Judaism. The normative experience of Judaism is I I ling I, I yearn for your presence. I want you in my life, and you're in my life. Except I'm not worthy of that, and and more and more and more that way. Jeremy. Yeah, you know, um, in in uh, Eliezer Berkovich, Faith After the Holocaust, wonderful, wonderful reflection, uh, in which Hester Pani plays an enormous role. The, the, the occlusion of the divine base. And, and he distinguishes between two kinds. There's Hester Panim, uh, the, the, so to speak, good way. You're bad, I'm punishing you. You deserve it. He says that's not really abandonment because that's, you might not like it. It might We might think of it as sort of the abusive parent or something like that, but there's a parent who does something good for the child or the God who does something good for the people by by saying, listen, there's a punishment that has to come here. But then there's Hester Panim, Berkovich says, which is not... You know, which is not uh, tachlitic. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't have a point. Um, it's just the mystery of God. And he's Berkovich goes to say, listen, free will means that God is going to sometimes be mustir, sometimes enter into Hester upon him to let us work it out. Uh, and and there isn't any other way because if God were totally present in our lives all over the place, uh, there would be no room for human action. Uh, my phone's ringing. We're just going to let it go. So, so he says something really, really quite powerful, especially for, you know, right after Yom Kippur. He says that, that when God is occluding the, the face to allow for human free will, that is the other side of the coin of being erechapayim, of being patient with sinners. And he says that the paradox of the divine is that obviously, while God is being patient with sinners, God is also being patient with the victims of the sinners. Yeah. Uh, while God is being patient with the sinners, God, from the perspective of the sinner, God is patient and waiting for tshuva. From the perspective of the victim of the sinner, God is in Hester Panim and letting bad stuff happen. So he calls that the paradox, uh, I think he calls it the paradox of, of theology, the paradox of, of the divine or something like that, which I thought was incredibly vivid, that if, if in fact you believe in human moral responsibility, and you should, and human free will, and you should, then that's going to mean that there is going to be ways that humans will use that free will in terrible, terrible ways, and we will experience those things as a case of Hester Panim. Let me let me just put... So, go ahead, go ahead, Barry. What I wanted to add to what, what Jeremy said so nicely is that we have an example of Hester Panim in, in theory, at least in the Parsha, because I think that the Hester Panim that Moses is mentioning in God's name has to do with him. Moses feels abandoned at the end. You know, at the end of the Parsha, we're going to get yet again God telling Moses, you can take a look, but you can't go in the land. And it seems, in a sense, kind of cruel. Why does God keep mentioning this? And I think the reason why God keeps mentioning it is twofold. First of all, Moses himself can't let go. And secondly, at the beginning of the Parsha, it says, that the rock God is pure and complete, and all his ways are justice. And what God is reminding Moses here is that the decision not to let him into the promised land is, in fact, justice. Our God is a God of justice, and sometimes it's not enough for us because we want the God of mercy. Right, and 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 here, I, I think that's a great point. And, uh, uh... You know, it's it's always interesting. We get we get so many lovely chidushim here, some novel opinions and novel interpretations. Never really associated, you know, Hester Panim with the hiding of the face with Moses himself, because you know the 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 last uh, moments of Moses's life, 
vis-a-vis God are actually quite tender. God attends to Moses's burial himself. Um, but, um, you know, I think God is also locked in. God can't, you know, it's, it, there's this um, motif in folklore that when the king makes a, an edict, the king can't reverse the edict. And we see that in, in the book of Esther, right? You know, the, the king can't reverse his edict. And, and in the sense that God is also locked in by his justice. And, and, and that makes God quite a tragic figure. Look, if you're the one that's abandoning, it's, you know, not only is the people that you abandon are traumatized, but on some level, you yourself are traumatized. I mean, the, you know, I, 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 I want to say that God elicits the most pathos in the book because because everything, you know, it, it doesn't turn out the way God wants it. And, and the end of this Parsha, you know, as uplifting as we want it to be, uh, it kind of comes down to a very sad ending or a sad, the, the, the Parsha itself, the book totally, you know, because Moses dies. But here it's, you're going to see the land from uh, a, a, a distance, from a cross. You're not going to go there. Ela Aretz, to the land, that I'm giving to the children of Israel, i.e., not you. And it's like, that's uh, you know, it. That's it. Yes, yes, and, um, first of all, you know, there's there's no happy endings, there's no Disney endings in life. Uh, everything is, uh, part of the Torah's greatness is, um, you know, is, uh, that it does that it does give us the bittersweetness. It doesn't give us, you know, God is in His heaven and everything works out right. There's actually even the greatest servant of all, the greatest Jew who ever lived, um, is is unfulfilled. But I just want to. I'm not going to read it or cite it, but uh, just say a little bit. The the great poet Rachel, uh, the poet of the of the second Aliyah, and this is actually the poem is on her grave in Kutzat Kineret, looking across looking across to Har Nevo. Uh, she, her poem is Mineged, and it's about it's about the impossibility of crossing that bridge. Kol ish unvolo. Everybody's got his own nevo. Oh, it's an amazing poem. So, if, if you like Hebrew poetry, go check it out. Mineged. Do you know what? Also, I mean, and, and this from this we're going to have to move on. The word tour, tour as the rock. So I'm I, I'm in the process of writing my parsha sheet this week, and the. And and not wanting to write on the sad themes, I want to talk about Tzur and Tzur Yisrael and how that framing became part of Israel's declaration of independence as a kind of compromise between religious Jews and secular Jews because Tzur Yisrael, the rock of Israel, seems to be both a, a, a depiction of God and also a metaphorical kind of uh, you know, the flintiness, the flintiness of the people. Absolutely. Or no, more like the, the solidity of the Jewish people. With that, let's go to the most unstable structure in the Jewish year. Uh, we are a few days before Sukkot. And of course, the tradition is that we, we are to be building our Sukkot, even as we speak and collecting our four species. I'm just going to make you free associate. We have a couple of topics that we, we you know, we bandied about. But, you know, Sukkot. For Sukkot for twenty, okay. Pick your pick your favorite. Daily theme. double. Oh, daily double. Well, you know, a, a th- the first theme or a theme that comes to mind, Jeremy. I'm going to start with you. Theme of Sukkot. Theme that that's occurring to you, and and you know, we'll go with that. So I I like the uh, 
when I was younger, I, I was slightly weirded out by just how kind of like primitive-y, pagan-y the Arbaminim are. Like you take this bouquet and 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 it, it seems to have not so uh, veiled fertility right, you know, allusions. Uh, when I was younger, I was kind of weird. I, I've come to really love the mitzvah of the Arbaminim and um, and when we leave our call, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go get mine. Uh, the, uh, the 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 four different sp- species: the 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 lulav, the palm, the etrog, the citron, the myrtle, the hadas, and the arava, the willows. Something m- m- made a metaphor, metaphorized has different kinds of Jews. And there's this midrash that I always really didn't like. There was uh, that was you know there's there's like the best Jews, which are like the etrog. And then because they have Torah and these both smell and taste, they have Torah and good deeds. And and the lulav has a taste, but it has no has no smell. So it does good deeds, but it represents people without Torah. Hadas is the opposite. It represents people with Torah, but they don't necessarily behave so well. And and the poor willow has neither taste nor smell. It represents those Jews who are like, you know, neither Torah nor good deeds. And I always thought this was such an obnoxious and hierarchical kind of dig. And and it kind of is, but it also uh, at a time when I think there's just so much in American life and Jewish life, so much so much like scorn of other people, and and a, and a, a sense of like you know this one doesn't count, or that one doesn't count, or I'm against this one, or we got to deport that one, or or we got to discount your votes, or try to restrict you from voting. Actually, a democracy means you have to bring in all the people even the ones who you look at as the willow you look at them as they're not contributing anything but you got no will you got no lulav without them you know you need four species not three and even if your three are spectacularly beautiful if you don't have the humble willow you got nothing and so i i really feel like uh that that kind of like what i thought was an obnoxious uh you know snooty kind of snobby drosh about the willow actually reminds you that you, everybody, all of us have perspectives that somebody out there in our society is the worthless willow, but you need them and you can't have Sukkot without them. It's a coalition. Barry, What you, you, your association with uh, Lulav or, or anything else related to this? So what we would add to what you said, Jeremy, is that the willow is also the one of the four species that requires the most care. It's mm-hmm. the one that becomes withered very quickly and it's striking in the way that you presented the midrash is that the one that has nothing on one hand is the one that we have to devote the most attention to because they are part of our community and we cannot abandon them but along with that midrash there's another in the series of midrashim which that one appears as the last one um where each of the four species is identified with god and it gives us this lovely image that when we put the four species together we are holding god or holding on to god and I think that is part of what makes Sukkot, Zaman Sukhatenu, our season of rejoicing. It's so interesting because, you know, you have these midrashic, midrashic explanations, uh, you know, the, the symbol of the coalition of Israel, shall we say, and, and, and God. And, and I'm thinking, like, they're plants. You know, they derive, you know, there's a certain sense of, like, the physicality of it. The, this is there's a palm, there's a willow, there's a, a myrtle, and there's an etrog. And, and I love the explanation that there are some different geographical zones within the land of Israel, and there are ge- different geographical zones within the, the wandering of the Israelites through the desert, and that, that uh, uh, included in this bouquet of, of symbols uh, 
is a symbol for each one of those different stages, namely the desert represented by the lulav, which is the oasis, the, the, palm, the palm tree of the oasis, the willow, which is the crossing over of the Jordan, which is where you find willows to this day, or along the uh, uh, you know rivers or along bodies of water, uh, the, the myrtle, which is uh, near uh, brooks, uh, t typically in rocky outcroppings, namely the uplands, and then the the etrog, which is the the ultimate orchard fruit, uh, requiring copious amounts of water. Right, you know the the pun that the rabbis make on pre etz hadar, pre etz hadar. It's pre hydro or pre what is it? It's the 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 pun I, between I think, hadar I and. Think, I think in Greek, I think Greek in water is is it's clearly hydro. In, in Greek, I think it's it's uh, udor or ador or something like that is water. So creates hada okay. hydro. So my point is that that they're all they're all tied to water and they're all tied to to what is the central anxiety of this time, namely that that because the land of Israel is so dependent on the heavens and their production of water. Uh, and that that we're heading into the season that is, you know, typically the rainy season in Israel. So that these these are direct uh, symbols that are evocative of water. And and I, you know, obviously the other ones have a certain poetic resonance with within our lives as as Jews. You know, certainly Klal Yisrael and and certainly God. But the land, it's like, so it's not, it's great. We have the land, we have God, we have the people, right? Perfect, right? We're, we're like a little bouquet here ourselves. Ah, <laughs> uh, we are. That's great. Okay. So, uh, um, and let me ask you this question. We were talking a little bit before, and, and I love this theme, which is, you know, uh, you know, the proposition that Sukkot really is designed as a universal holiday. Passover is really designed as a particular holiday. And we've kind of inverted them in modern Judaism. We may have spoken about this in the past, but but um, you know the the idea that that the sukkah itself um, is to represent something beyond itself. That that sukkah represents first and foremost, you know, Klal Yisrael and that community and shelter in the presence of God and a certain universality. I I, I was we were suggesting that. The, the holiday that was damaged the most by the pandemic was the Sukkah, Sukkot, because the, the natural rhythms of community life were really disrupted terribly in, in Sukkot. Never mind the high holidays, you know, in my show, we, you know, the first year of the pandemic, we, we, we kind of we kind of closed the show altogether. Uh, and we had people, you can daven, you can always daven by yourself. Right, and you can always make a seder with the you know the person closest to you, like your family, your 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 spouse, your kids, or whatever. Okay, you could you know that first year of the pandemic, you know we sat around the seder. I think we were three people for. I mean, you know, it was really small. Once you get to the sukkah, you really feel it because the sukkah is all about people coming in, people coming out, you know, gatherings, you know, activities, and, and you know, in my show, we have the men's club, the sisterhood, the youth, etc. I mean, and, and people on their own, they're having their friends over, their visitors, and, and they always, you know, I know people that every year they have the same certain people coming and visiting, etc. And it's just a joy for them. And that was completely upended during the pandemic. I think it's coming back now. 
Um, and and the, the, the whole communal nature, the public nature, and I would say the universal nature of the holiday is what's important, whereas uh, the particular is important in Passover. We've kind of inverted that. I don't know. Speak to that for a second, Jeremy. You, want, you have any experience of that, and and or or kind of reflection? I, I think it's extremely extremely insightful to say that uh, this pa- Passover is the covenantal, uh, you know, the covenantal holiday. You you form the breach. You you get an identity as Am Yisrael, and for American Jews, um, I, I think that it has become in an un you know, a disproportionate way, not that there aren't universal themes, not that, you know, obviously because we are Americans and because the Exodus story plays such a huge role in the history of black Americans and and because that is and has always been, you know, at the center of the moral moral meaning of American life, um, it's just, it's very easy and quick to go to that direction and see that everybody has a parallel kind of story and, you know, uh, we should be interested in, in, uh, in, in refugees, because our people were quote refugees from Egypt, which was what was the highest the highest button, you know, from a few years ago. Uh, I, I do think that it, it would be a great tragedy in Jewish life for American Jews to not see that this is the covenant of the Pesach is the covenantal communal holiday that binds us together as a people, and it has become in in a disproportionate way a universalized holiday. And I love the thought that Sukkot ultimately looks to the worship, you know. As Isaiah imagines that all the all the world will everybody will have a share in this worship in, in the suit in the sukkah setting. Uh, it's a it's a universal holiday, and we've made it like really each, each our small sukkah. I thought that the Elliot's observation was I thought just wonderful. And also, I mean, there there to touch on a couple of other themes, like for example, the 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 number of sacrifices. You know, uh, we we pay attention so, to that. Um, the number of sacrifices, I mean, you, over the course of the holiday of Sukkot, you know, the Torah says you, it, it's 70 sacrifices, 70 animals. And that's a huge amount. And, and what's that about? The symbolic totality of the nations of the world. 70 is, the, is that symbolic number of, you know, that's, that's how humanity starts, the 70 nations. Barry, you want to jump in here? So we can look at Sukkot as the original Thanksgiving in the sense it was a time when people gave thanks for their bounty, for what they had harvested. And the other piece of Sukkot that speaks to the universal theme is found in the Haftarot. We have the Haftarah from Zechariah, which foretells a time when everyone will worship the one God. And we include that verse in Aleinu, which with which we conclude each of our prayer services. And that is actually quite striking because Aleinu itself if you take the time to look at the original um, version of it, has a piece that's very particular, and then at the end is very universal. And the other thing is the battle between Gog and Magog for the Olamoid Shabbat Haftarah, which is part of the Messianic redemption. And I think that what we have here on Sukkot, everyone has to harvest. That, I think, is what makes Sukkot a universal holiday, is that every farmer has to bring in the crops in order to provide for the, the coming year. And that's something that we share as descendants of farmers, most of us, not farmers ourselves, with people all over the world. And what I like about the image of the sukkah in this context is that the sukkah is actually outside of our house. So our privacy is maintained while we can still host other people. 
And I think that also is an important consideration than 21st century America. Right. And so, and so this, this whole, I mean, it's such a great theme, public and private, and there's so much to learn, you know, on, on, on the whole idea of where the boundary is between public and private and, and, and universal in particular, and, and how that has become somewhat inverted in our time. Uh, and, and to what extent, you know, our Sukkot uh, enable us to, to kind of go, go out from ourselves. Uh, I, it's, we also talked about um, the senses and that there's a certain sensory enlivenment uh, with the with the sukkah, I, I think that you know, for for many of us, Sukkot it's our it's our favorite holiday. Although you could say that each one of the holidays is favored for 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 certain reasons, but there's something about this holiday that makes one particularly joyous. Perhaps it's you know the the sense of transition. The, perhaps it's the sense of fragility of life. Perhaps it's you know the meaning of gratitude and and um, and 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 our bodies. Sukkot, you, I, I want to say as a, and you'll debate me on this. Sukkot is the most physical, the most body of the of the holidays. Uh, and and uh, maybe you can disagree because you know there's there's some body and all. Well, we did we did have some holiday yesterday that was really significant in, in a bodily way. <laughs> in that you you kind of uh, you know regi- no, regi- um, not abdicate but uh, yeah, forego renounce. Yeah. renounce your bodily pleasures. But if, but of course that's the that's the thing is that the opposite is true, right? You you. Um, uh, forgive, forgive a little small halakhic detail. Everything, every food-related prohibition in Judaism, for the most part, is that the amount of food that is the problem is kizayat, right? If, if you eat an olive-sized piece of tray for whatever, uh, you that is the that is the shiur, that is the con, the quantity that counts as a forbidden thing. But in, in Yom Kippur, it's a larger amount. You, it's a date-sized thing, and the idea is that it's not the food that is pro- prohibited; it's the sense of of yishu hadat like uh mental composure and physical togetherness and what what we're driving for is that you be driven out of your sense of physical composure and so i think by renouncing the body of course you focus on the effect that that has on the body and and that it it scrambles up your mind and it makes you lightheaded and it makes you anxious and makes you sweaty and that's that's part of the game so and sukkot is completely body because the, the halachot regarding the sukkah is, are that you have to eat in the sukkah, you have to dwell in the sukkah, you have to entertain in the sukkah, sleep in the sukkah, you know, if you live in a climate that is conducive to that. Um, but, but um, and, and I think you, you can't not but help think, you know, as you are in the sukkah, that you are there with your body. And you are there with, I mean, I love the fact that in Judaism, you're not only there in your body, you've invited souls, you know, you've invited some people there. It's, 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 it's totally physical, totally tactile, and also slightly ephemeral. It's like, you know, Avram is here, Avram, you know, and I, I play this game often, you know. Who just for you, one night. Who would you invite to your sukkah? Who would you, maybe we, we'll end with this, you know, just as a, in, in a joyful way, do you have a particular character? We talked about this in the past. You know, uh, 
who would you invite to your sukkah? Who's your ushbizin? You know, anybody or 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 not? Or or what does this mean to be physical in the sukkah? To be, you know, spiritual. So I I think what the sukkah comes to remind us is that to live in God's world, we have to be outside. We're so used to being in our houses where we derive most of our comfort. The week that we spend in the sukkah, we realize we actually need a lot less than we think. And we could get by with a lot less. And by doing with less, we have greater access to the divine. And I think the way that the Ushbizin, the guests, the guests that we invite fits in with this is that it brings our distant past together with our near past and our present in this humble abode where we can actually think that we're living with God for the week. Lovely, lovely. Wow. So, so there's, it's a spiritual holiday, Sukkot. I mean, I, I, you know, maybe next week we'll talk about some of the, the, the deeper themes connected to uh, Kohelet, which is, you know, but just to kind of give us, Kohelet is not, it's not, it's not an accident that that book is chosen for this time. It makes you think about the deepest issues, really, in the, in, in your physical world and, and in your spiritual world, really, and life, life itself. Wow. Well, it's existential. Indeed. You know, and again, the sukkah focuses us on that as well. Wow. Okay. So from Hazinu, this parsha, which is complicated, difficult, to Sukkot, which is beautiful, joyous, universal, to uh, the the sense that a year has concluded and a year is starting, and and that the you know one phase of our Chagei Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur has 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 been completed and and the next phase the final phase with Sukkot Hoshana Rabbah Shmini Atzeret and Simchas Torah that's beginning it's really quite joyful and and Man the joy that we have had in talking and the joy that we always get from the people that watch us we are we are so so grateful to you for spending time with us we love your comments As a couple of you wrote in on Barry's Facebook page, we 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 just enjoy that and uh, keep that coming. And if you know what, since I only put this out to people who are watching us because we, we need some love. So if you if you've watched us over the year or or uh, uh, heard us, write in, tell us what you think, okay? Because we love we love to hear from you, and it would make us feel really good. Yes, it would. <laughs> because it's right. sweet potato for gratitude. Anyway. Shabbat Shalom. Talk to you next week.